In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. A blessed feast of the Assumption of Our Lady, the Mother of God, to all of you. Today is a, a special day because usually we celebrate the Feast of the Assumption on the fixed day of the Coptic month of um, Missouri on the 16th day, and this year it happens to fall on a Sunday. So we're very, uh, we're very blessed this year that, um, that her feast comes to us on a Sunday. Um, what is it that we are celebrating when we celebrate the Assumption of our, of our Lady St. Mary? It's the Assumption of her, her body into the heavens. And in a sense, we can say that this Feast of the Assumption is the last earthly act that God uses to confirm the glory that he has given to his mother. That is to say that the glory that was given to her um, as revealed in the Annunciation that she would be blessed for all generations, that this confirmation or this confession by the Lord about his mother is sort of sealed with the assumption of her body in which he did not allow her body to remain in this corruptible world, nor did he allow her body to see corruption. And in a sense then, we see that this feast is a feast of transformation and a, trans and a feast of glory and a feast of hope because this is, in a sense, what we're all looking for. The Mother of God in her Magnificat, in her praise after the Annunciation, when she was with her relative Elizabeth, she said, for he, hath, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So is this not our hope? Is this not really a feast for us? Is it not we who the Lord said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So today, the Feast of St. Mary is a confirmation of our own hope that the lowly state of his maidservant today was confirmed in glory, was exalted in glory. And each one of us, if we, if we also call ourselves the, the humble maidservant of the Lord, and if we live this truth, we also shall be glorified. St. Paul says in his epistle to the Romans, for in hope we were saved. If we hope for what we do not see yet, then we wait for it with patience. So the mother of God patiently waited through her earthly sojourn, through her earthly sufferings and sorrows, through following the Lord in his plan of redemption, and she waited in hope also for her glorification. And each one of us has this hope. Each one of, the, of us today has this hope in us. This is the 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 sort of the bedrock of our salvation, to remain in this hope, the hope of our salvation, the hope of our glorification, the hope of our redemption. And in such glory, we see that there is a beautiful transformation that takes place. This humble maidservant, this humble child who was consecrated to God from a very young age is now the queen of heaven. She is now, as we say in the hymns of the church, above the cherubim and the seraphim. She is above all thrones and principalities. She is above every created 
angelic and human creation of God. If this is the case, then how can we also not hope that our sorrows will be turned into joy, that our injustices will be turned into victory, that our struggles and labors in this world will be turned into perfect rest, eternal rest, that our humiliations will be turned into honor, and that the exile that we live away from God in this corruptible world will be turned into a beautiful abiding presence with God. So this is our hope, and this is what the feast celebrates for us today. She goes before us in this hope. When we look at icons or even the apparitions of the Mother of God throughout human history, oftentimes she is clothed in beautiful vestments and garments and a brilliance that shines with many wonderful colors. Of course, oftentimes we see her in gold, which is the color of royalty. Or she is in blue, which is the color of heaven, the paradise. The, we call her the second heaven because she contained the uncontainable. She, she was the throne of the incarnate word of God. She is another heaven. Red because she is Our Lady of Sorrows. She is the one who also through her own life gave blood in order to receive the spirit. But underneath all of these vestments, she is in white. And white is the, the symbol of purity. As a matter of fact, each one of us, our undergarment is white. It's the garment that we received in baptism. It's the garment that the clergy, whether the patriarch or the bishop or the priest or the deacon or the, or the lower ranks of the, of the diaconate, Whatever we wear on top, underneath all of it is a simple white robe. And this white vestment resembles the purity that we received in the waters of baptism. It's the purity that represents our total consecration and, and having been given, given over to God. So I want to, to begin with this thought about purity because it is sort of the, the garment of Our Lady. She is, before she is the queen and before she is sort of the one who shares in the plan of redemption through her own sorrows, before she is even the queen of heaven or the, the second heaven, she is the pure, humble virgin of Nazareth. And often in the Gospels we hear about this purity, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does this word mean? The word pure in Greek, katharos, it means pure or clean or unmixed. It is a substance that is totally and wholly pure. It isn't mixed with any other foreign substance. So the pure person, the clean person, is not just one who is untainted by sin, although this is true, but the pure person is one who is unmixed. They aren't divided in their devotion, in their consecration, in their priorities, in their desires. They are free from corrupt desire, from any admixture which is false. It is somebody who is totally genuine, totally pure. That's why Christ, when he spoke to the Pharisees, he said to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse 
that is you katharos, you purify the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse katharos, the inside of the cup and of the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So it seems that our Lord is very concerned about our purity, about not being mixed, not being divided, not being tainted, not being separated between the things of God and the things of the world and the things of, of evil and the things of ourselves that come from our, our fallen egos. So the person who is pure is untainted and therefore they see and they come to understand and know that everything that comes from God is good. Everything that comes from the hand of God is pure, is blessed. So Christ, of course, is the perfect example of the pure because he is perfect in his obedience and his submission and his devotion to his Father. He never wavered, nor was he distracted, nor was he divided in his intentions or in his goals. But he was 100% his father's, his father's will, his father's word, his father's commands, his father's love. And so the Lord says to us, you cannot serve God and mammon. It is impossible to divide our affections, our fidelities, and our attachments. We can't distribute ourselves even between two. Otherwise, we become unclean. St. Mary is pure because she was pure. She was, she, was un, she was totally clean, totally consecrated, totally God's. She was untainted by any of the desires of this world. There was a, an ascetic, a very holy man living in the mountains and he had a cat that he loved very much because the cat took care of, ate the, um, the mice and the snakes, which gave, then gave him peace to live in this place. And he also had a little bird whom he had a great affection for. And after he would feed himself and feed the cat, the crumbs that were left he would put into the palm of his hand and he would take great pleasure in the bird coming and sitting on his, on his hand and eating from these crumbs from his hand. And one day he was out of some necessities, food and other necessities. So he had to leave the mountain to go down into the city in order to sell some of his handiwork and to buy some of his necessities. So before he left, he told the cat, he said, take care of the bird. Don't allow anything to happen to the bird. You are responsible for the bird. If something happens to the bird, you will be greatly punished. And then he left. And when he came back, when he arrived at his cell, he found the feathers of the bird all over the floor. And he was, of course, greatly distressed and upset because he knew that the cat had eaten the bird. So he approached the cat and he began to blame the cat and chastise the cat and started to warn the cat about the great punishment that he was about to inflict upon the cat. And then the voice of the Lord spoke to him and said to him, do not blame the cat. It is not her fault. 
I gave her the order. So the ascetic, the old man was distressed. And he said, why, Lord? Why would you command such a thing? And the Lord said, because your love was divided. Your love was divided. Even this little bird was a distraction for your love for me. It took you, your heart partially away from me. Your love was divided. The mother of God's love was never divided. And the Lord asks of us also not to have this divided heart. And we can imagine the struggle that St. Mary went through in this undivided devotion. Because keep in mind that though she was a part of the plan of redemption, when she said yes to the Archangel Gabriel, she said yes to all that would happen. She said yes on our behalf. She said yes to the cross and to everything that the cross entailed. But she was also a mother. And Jesus was her son, true son. And so she struggled, or we can say she was faced with opportunities in which she would face this reality of the plan of God, which entailed the suffering of her son, the death of her son, and her own pierced heart, as Simeon the elder said to her, and her love for her son. So we can imagine the pain and the sorrows that she encountered when, when Herod slaughtered thousands of innocent children because he was looking for the child Jesus. At that moment, she, she was presented perhaps with an opportunity to waver. Should she continue with the plan of God? Or should she look at it from a human standpoint? When, when Jesus was 12 years old and he, was, and, they, and he stayed behind at the temple after they had gone to Jerusalem, and after some days they realized he wasn't with the caravan that was going back. And when they went back to the temple and they found him, of course, as a mother, she said, where have you been? We have been searching for you. Our hearts are, are, are broken. And Jesus said, Do you, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Again, she was faced with a, an opportunity. Do I cling to him as mother? Or do I cling to the plan of God? Do I cling to the to the?" the desires of God, which even mean my own destruction, my own pain, my own sorrows. So even the mother of God chose over and over again devotion to God and his will over even the attachment to her own son, even the, the affection and the love as a mother to her, to her son. She, was, she never wavered in saying yes to God. And, and the fact that the Gospels tell us that she was there at the foot of the cross while most of the disciples had disappeared is one of the greatest acts of the mother of God. For she stands at the foot of the cross with the blood of her son dripping down, possibly falling on her. And again, she's faced with a choice. Does she say, my son, come down from the cross? because as a mother, I cannot bear to see your death? Or does she stand at the foot of the cross saying, yes, let it be done to me according to your word? 
Let it be your will and not my will, O Lord. So the mother of God then symbolizes in her purity this total devotion, this total yes, this total commitment to the, to the will of God in all things. She understood that every sorrow, every difficulty, every pain that she encountered along the way was fulfilling some plan. Maybe she didn't yet fully understand <clears throat> how every detail, how every detail that was unfolding was part of that plan, but she trusted. And when she was faced with a very personal and real opportunity to say no, like many of us face, she didn't. She said yes to God. There's a, um, a Russian elder, his name is Elder Nikon, and um, he was a spiritual father in the 20th century, early 20th, mid 20th century, and he was known for his wonderful guidance to people. And so many people um, flocked to see him in person and others wrote him letters. And many of his responses and letters were, were, were kept and were then published. And I was reading through some of these letters this week and he's, he's giving very beautiful sort of spiritual guidance to his spiritual children. And there's a, a phrase that he, he refers to over and over again in his letters which really sort of caught me, and I, I, I wanted for us maybe to, to memorize this. It's just two words, what he calls unmurmuring endurance. Unmurmuring endurance. The murmuring person is the one who grumbles, who complains, who is always dissatisfied, unthankful, who constantly complains to God that nothing is right, that everything is wrong, that I can never catch a break. And throughout his letters, and he's writing to people who are going through severe trials of poverty and war and disease, and he's constantly saying to them that we must have this unmurmuring endurance. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about the mother of God, and, and the thought came to me, that either God for us is our benefactor, that is, he is the one who does good for us, the, the beneficent, the benefactor, or he is indifferent to us, or even worse, he is working against us. These are really the three choices that we have on a minute-by-minute -minute basis in our life, whatever we're facing at this very moment, at any moment in our life, we should ask ourselves, is God my benefactor? Is he indifferent to me? Or perhaps he is even working against me? And what the mother of God shows us is that she understood that God is the benefactor of humanity. And that in every twist and turn of her own life, and in every problem that she faced, she knew that God was her benefactor that he wasn't indifferent and that he wasn't working against her, but he was the good lover of mankind. And that's why Christ said to us in the Gospels, by your patience, possess your souls, by your endurance, by your, we could say with Elder Nikon, by your unmurmuring endurance, possess your salvation, possess your soul, find your salvation. 
The definition of patience is the ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. So it's sort of this ability to suppress a negative feeling, to suppress a negative inclination. Endurance is more positive. Endurance is, 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 is the virtue of fortitude. It's, it's having the strength and the courage to face and continue even when we're exhausted. We need both. We need sort of that unmurmuring, uncomplaining, sort of patient waiting out the situations and circumstances of our life. But we also need to be enlivened by the Holy Spirit with fortitude, with strength, with courage to face the problems of our day, to, to face the, 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 the trials of our generation, to face the problems with our families and in our workplaces, to face it with strength. To be at the foot of the cross as Mary was, not hiding and running away, not caving in to our sadness, not huddled in fear in the upper room as the apostles were, but, but courageously saying, Lord, you are my benefactor. I don't understand perhaps what's happening. I don't perhaps yet see the good of it, but I know that you are not indifferent to me and certainly you are not working against me, therefore you are my friend. You are my benefactor. There's a beautiful nun in Greece, her name um, is Mother Macrina, she passed away, she reposed in 1995. Her life is very similar to that of our own Tamav Irini, if you're familiar with her story. As a matter of fact, they, um, they only live some years apart from each other, but their lives um, as heads of a convent and spiritual mothers to um, hundreds of people um, resemble each other very much. And when um, one of her nuns was put in charge of a monastery, a convent here in the US, Mother Macrina came to visit her. And, and so as she was in the plane, and she's coming from Greece to the US, she was um, in her seat looking at the, the vastness of the, the Atlantic Ocean. And she said to one of um, the other nuns that was traveling with her, she said, what a miracle this is. You fly and fly and fly and fly and beneath you is nothing but ocean. God's great goodness is endless like the ocean. So should human patience, patience be endless like the ocean. And I, I found that very beautiful that the, this sort of progression in her thought, right? That as this ocean is endless, so is the goodness of God. The goodness of God is endless. It's like this endless ocean. It, it, it never exhausts itself. And at the same time, the conclusion then, if God's goodness is endless, then man's patience must be also endless. His endurance must be endless. We must never, ever tire of being patient and waiting and hoping. Never. St. Paul says that it's not hope until there's no sign of hope, until there is no, there's no security that, that what, is your, what it is you're hoping for is something that you can grasp. It's precisely then that it's hope. So she said, and it's, it's almost like difficult to understand these words because she simply repeats these words, endurance and patience. She says to her nuns, she says, have much, much patience. Have endless patience. Over and over again, have this great patience. 
Have patience, patience, patience. Endure, endure, endure. These are her words. Endure everything. Endure everything with much, much patience. Whatever happens to you, endure with much patience, with a heart full of peace and a closed mouth. Endure with patience and peace will rest in your heart. Unmurmuring endurance. Think about that. Carry that phrase with you. Unmurmuring endurance. Elder Nikon, in one of the letters where he, he speaks about this to one of his spiritual children, this was written sometime in the, between the 1950s and 1960s, he said, how are you feeling? Are you depressed? And if he's writing to many of us, we would stop there and say yes. How are you feeling? Are you depressed? We should not fall victim to despondency, grumbling about our illnesses and sorrows. For God has established a law firmer than heaven and earth that only through many trials is it, is it possible to enter the kingdom of God. We have now come to such a period in the history of humanity when one is saved exclusively. This is a very uh, interesting comment he makes. We have now come to such a period in the history of humanity when one is saved exclusively through the enduring sorrows without a murmur with faith in God and hope in his mercy. Today there are no other paths by which to attain salvation. For our times, one path alone is left to us, the patient endurance of sorrows. St. Isaac the Syrian, he quotes, says, more precious to God than any prayer and sacrifice are sorrows endured because of him and for his sake. In sorrows born with gladness and with thanks to the Lord who saves us through suffering, there is hidden a spiritual joy the joy of rising from strength to strength in our spiritual life. I was thinking about what he was saying in this letter. Why does he say that this is the, the period in history in which one is saved exclusively with this unmurmuring endurance? And I remembered a story of the Desert Fathers. One time a young um, disciple went to his elder and he said, Abba, what do you make of our generation? So the Abba, he said, our generation is only doing half of the great works of the previous generation. He means like the great works of intense prayers and fastings and vigils and sacrifices and almsgiving and all of these great virtuous deeds. He says, our generation is only doing half of the great works of the previous generation. So the young disciple said to him, what will become of the next generation? He said, the next generation will only do half of the works of our generation. So the young disciple said, well, what will it be like in the end times? He said, in the end times, they will not have any great works, but those who are able to endure and keep the faith will be greater than our fathers who through their prayers were able to raise the dead. So there is prophecy that in the end times, whether we are in those end times or the beginning of those end times or nearing the end times, the works, the great works that we read about in the Synexarium that sometimes we think are imagination or fantasy, no, those works happened. That was what was happening in those generations. They had such grace, such faith. But perhaps in our generation, in the future generations, we will struggle to have such good deeds, such good works, such ascetic images in the church. 
of sorts of sort of heroic figures. But if we are able to have this patient, unmurmuring endurance and to keep the faith, God will see us in the same light as the martyrs and as the great saints of the past. Now, I'll end with a final story about Mother Macrina, which proves this point even more. It was a vision that she had. Mother Macrina was like the mother, and he was gifted with many, many visions um, that in the privacy of, of the convent, she related to the nuns. Only after her death did they publish some of these talks in which she retells this story, but this, of course, was not something that she spoke about except to her nuns. So one time, Mother Macrina was slandered by, the, the, the story is about patience and endurance. One time, Mother Macrina was slandered by another person. She was falsely accused. And Mother Macrina, being a very holy and sensitive soul, was distressed by this, and she prayed fervently. She, she even wept and prayed for this person and for the pain that her soul was experiencing. And one day, she had a vision. The vision was that this person that had slandered her was coming to her, and she had sort of these deep furrows in her face from um, sweat and, and soot. So it was like black with, with, with sweat, and she was exhausted. And she was carrying this very heavy load on her back. And Mother Macrina ran to her, and she tried to help her carry this load, but it was too heavy. Even Mother Macrina couldn't carry this load from this person. So she said to the sister, she said, you are tired. And the sister responded, yes, I am tired of carrying this weight. I am so tired of carrying this weight. The sister, the one who slandered Mother Macrina, then said to Mother Macrina, she said, tonight the queen, the queen is, of course, the mother of God. Tonight the queen is having a reception and she wants you to go. Mother Macrina said, the queen wants me? Yes, you, you have to go. And at this moment, uh, like a car or a coach approached, and in the, in the coach was another one of her nuns that she recognized. And when they approached Mother Macrina, again, this nun who was inside of the car, she said to her, to Mother Macrina, come because the queen wants you. She's waiting for you. So then she says, we arrived at this beautiful palace. And in the middle of this beautiful palace was the queen enthroned, and her face was shining with a brilliant light, and her garments were majestic and glittering. And she saw two ranks of, of, of people in front of the queen. One that she said looked like young people, like children, and they had a red ribbon on their head. And the other looked like nuns. They, they had veils, and they, young women with veils on their head. And she went in with where the nuns were. But she was then told, no, you, it's not yet your turn. And she heard a beautiful voice coming from deep within the palace saying, this is the day of the resurrection. Let us be radiant, O people. This is the day of the resurrection. Let us be radiant, O people. And then the queen, turning to the, to the people who the, looked like young children with red ribbons, she said, enter, O martyrs. Enter great martyrs. And they began to enter into the palace. So Mother Macrina then went to the Mother of God and she, she held her hand. And as she said, St. Mary then 
smiled at her and began to stroke her back and then said to her, patience, patience, patience. And she was able to look into, into the palace and see this beautiful banquet that was set for the martyrs. She said, everything that you can imagine was there in this banquet. And one of the, uh, the, the people who was in the vision said to her, those things are for the martyrs, for those who endured, for those who had patience, for those who suffered temptations and trials. And instructed Mother Macrina to live this patience and to teach this patience. And then the next morning, of course, she was greatly affected by this vision, and she understood that she, that this was going to be a central teaching to her nuns, that what makes us like the martyrs, what makes us like the, the ascetics, what makes us like all of the great saints that we read about, what makes us like the mother of God is patience, endurance, unmurmuring, unmurmuring endurance unmurmuring endurance. The next morning, Mother Macrina went to the sister who had slandered her, and she embraced her and kissed her, and she said, I didn't know how to thank her for the false words that she said. What a beautiful thing it is for one to be patient, to endure. That is why the queen said, enter martyrs of Christ, enter great martyrs of Christ. What will God prepare for us when we are patient in our lives? There's another story of another ascetic who was making his handiwork and in the morning he found that somebody was stealing his handiwork. So one day he decided to stay awake in the middle of the night and to find out who it was that was coming in the middle of the night to steal his work. And unfortunately he found that it was one of his young disciples. But he didn't say anything to his disciple. He prayed for him, but he never confronted him. He continued to love him and to patiently endure until this old monk was on his deathbed. And before he died, he asked the monks, he said, go bring my young disciple so-and-so. So they brought the young disciple to the elder, and the elder began to take the monk's, the, the disciple's hand, and he began to kiss it profusely. And he says, I kissed this hand which opened for me the gates of paradise. I kissed this hand which opened for me the kingdom. He understood that his patience and his endurance and his suffering that trial and not taking his rights and chastising his disciple and punishing him, that he understood that this was a great grace that opened for him paradise. So, again, the mother of God the white of her vestments and the white of our baptismal vestments, garments, purity, undivided, totally consecrated, totally given to the will of God, sees God as our benefactor, as the good one and lover of mankind, and therefore we are patiently enduring all of the sorrows and trials of this life with hope to be glorified with her, with all the martyrs, with all the saints, by our patient, unmurmuring endurance. And glory be to God forever. Amen.